0: Hello welcome to Talking Fit I'm Paul Rose I'm joined as ever by Luke Morgan and today we're joined by Emma Bray. Emma welcome to the show thanks for coming on in just a couple of minutes tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you both for having me morning so I am a Pilates teacher I've been teaching for 15 years I am a comprehensively trained Pilates teacher so that means that I have Um, covered all of the different equipment, as well as um, what most people know is is matte Pilates. Uh, I also teach something called gyrotonic and gyrokinesis, which I'm sure no one's heard of, no. (laughs) so (laughs) Different movement modality. Um, Again, there's a machine aspect and there's a floor kind of chair aspect and it works kind of a little bit more 360. So a lot of Pilates tends to be quite linear in its movement patterns and the gyrokinesis adds that kind of more 360 elements. I'm also trained as a counsellor, and I just finished a diploma in nutrition kind of last year. So lots of different things.
0: So start off with a massive rabbit hole. What is Pilates? Obviously that's a very, there's a very, very broad answer to that question, but in its simplest form, what is Pilates?
1: See, I thought you were going to do what's the difference between Pilates and Oh, We'll come to
0: that later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, Pilates is a, is, a, is a, another movement modality. You know, it was developed by a guy called Joe Pilates. It was originally called Controlology. Um, catchy, not. So uh, he basically developed a, a system. When was it? So he was interned at World War I. So he was in the UK and he was interned into a camp on the Isle of Man. And when he was there, he was kind of watching cats, I think it was, and noticing how the cats were not being fed anything very much, and yet they were always kind of stretching, but they could kind of move really quickly, you know, at any any kind of point. And he started kind of watching them and um, from their kind of devising, kind of like, you know, a stretching kind of routine, I think that's kind of where it started. Um, And that was really the beginnings of controlology, and the the mat-based stuff. So the mat-based stuff came first. And then from there, he kind of continued to develop the system into equipment. So a lot of the time, kind of what I see is um, when people are on the floor and they're doing the exercises, they don't really understand where they should be moving from or where they could move from. You know, they're kind of having to use their own body as kind of like the the weighting system. And Joe developed the equipment to help to show people where they could move from. Yeah, to give them that kind of that feedback. So, lots of closed chain exercises. Both nod head, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, there's all this kind of weird and wonderful kind of um, equipment. Cadillac, reformer, there's one called the electric chair, honestly. Um, the, high, the high chair, um, the guillotine, um, the pedopool. So, there's lots and lots of different pieces and you can do them sitting, kind of standing, l- lay down. Yeah. I think there's probably about over a thousand exercises on all the equipment. So you never get bored. I realise I've gone
0: off on a tangent. No, no. I'd, <laughs> I'd actually, when was it? It was probably about 10 years ago now when I was training to be a personal trainer, I did a, a weekend course in Pilates instruction and it was like Matt Pilates fundamentals. And it was basically, this is how you transition from a plank to a side plank. It was a uh, very, Dull, shall we say. You learn a lot (laughs) from your weekend, of course. um,
1: Yeah, thank you. But
0: actually, in my pre-reading for that, we did about Joe Pilates and controlology. I've completely forgotten about controlology and what a catchy name that is. Uh, (laughs) You can see why they've changed it.
1: He wrote wrote two books, one called Return to Life Through Controlology and the other one called Your Health which are absolutely fascinating. They're they're obviously translated from German, but he talks about, they're they're really relevant to today, just talking about kind of whole health, you know, that it's, you know, that physical fitness is the first requisite to happiness. I really kind of like that one. I use that quite a lot. And yeah, he talked about kind of being physically fit and getting out in the fresh air and how that affects your mental health. And so he was really looking at kind of, you know, what we call holistic kind of health, you know, all the way back then I mean he was born in 1883 you know and um he died in 1967 so he was wasn't that long ago that he's that he died really I he was 83 but I think that the stuff that he was writing about was you know ahead of his time probably like 50 50 years ahead of his time and it's quite sad that he never got to see you know what happened to his work I mean because it's it's all over the world you know Pilates is a generic term um
0: yeah i think one thing that really will surprise people listening about pilates is that it is not even 100 years old because it's always grouped with yoga and people say oh yoga that's been around forever it's thousands and thousands of years old and people just assume pilates is the same but it's not it's much more modern it's based on i will not say modern science because Science has changed a lot in a hundred years, but it's it's a lot more about. Well, I'll let you go into what, what it's about <laughs> and the differences between what what are the the key differences between Pilates and yoga? Would you say?
1: My favourite question. Not really. Yeah, I mean. Well, first of all i just like to say there is this kind of like camp of like Pilates and yoga like one is better than the other yeah. and I completely disagree I think that all movement is good it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're moving your body and you know you're with a you know a, a qualified teacher just yeah just just move um, and you need to find a thing that makes you happy the thing that you will actually go and do on a regular basis and if that's yoga it's yoga if it's personal training, it's personal training. If it's Pilates, it's Pilates. Um, So that's just there. Um, So the main difference is I find my experience of yoga and, you know, there are lots of different types of yoga, like there are lots of different kind of um, branches of Pilates is yoga tends to go to end range quite quickly. And, you know, for a lot of bodies, that's probably not a good choice. So I would say that I definitely fall into kind of the hypermobile category and I've been to lots of yoga classes and injured myself repeatedly and that's one of the reasons that I kind of got into Pilates. So also yoga is based kind of just on kind of the floor there's generally no equipment there's a few little props whereas Pilates we do have this huge kind of um, equipment kind of side so it's almost like a mixture (laughs) of um, yoga and like gym work kind of Pilates. kind of how I see it you know there's also a spiritual aspect to to yoga maybe not the more mainstream stuff that you're seeing kind of in gyms but you know traditionally you know yoga to me seems very holistic it's about you know food it's you know what you put into your body you know spending time kind of meditating as well that's kind of how how I see kind of yoga
0: yeah I think it's interesting you talk about the working to end range and injuries from yoga because I think there's a I don't know whether to say a misconception or not, but I will say misconception <laughs> yoga. that it's, it's very rounded and it improves everything. But for a lot of people, as you say, hypermobility is, is very, very common and just stretching and pushing yourself, you know, your joints as far as they can go. Isn't going to be beneficial. There's perhaps lacking a bit of a strength element in there, which pilates does have more of a focus on
1: i mean it really does depend on the teacher of course like you know um and how much training that they've had i mean i don't know about you guys but I, I find actually what i teach the most to people is awareness like awareness of their body okay where is my body in space and and how do i how do i take how do i articulate and move my joint systems do, does my client even know that their scapula kind of glides on in you know, it? Their ribcage. Do they even know that they can kind of move that back there? And and that's what I find that I teach most for them They're my only sugar. Set. No, they don't. <laughs> that's what that's what I teach a lot. You know, before we even get into kind of you know, some of the equipment-based stuff. There's all of this like fundamental level that almost needs to be taught first of all. And I think that when people jump into Pilates classes or they jump into like a yoga class, they they miss that that building block. And then that's why I think it's very easy for people to get injured or to kind of go kind of like beyond their range, not from wanting to do that to their bodies, but just not having the awareness to, you know, to, to know not to. And in a class environment, it's very hard for teachers. If you've got 15, 20 people in there, like how do you get that information across? How do you get around to those people, you know, who you're looking at and going, oh, please don't do that. You know, it's, um, it's, it's challenging, you know, and there's lots of different aspects to that. There's like, there's money, there's training, there's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I Who'd think, be a teacher? Um, Who'd be a movement teacher, honestly? <laughs>
0: I think... Kind of since the, the fitness industry became an industry, if you like, so around sort of the 70s, the 80s, when kind of the Schwarzeneggers and the Lou Ferrigno's started to get big and people started to notice the, the bodybuilding side of things and fitness generally started to be commercialized from there. The, the bodybuilding approach taught people that joints move independently, and that muscles move independently. And there's a lot of, well, you need to do this to work your bicep, and this to work your pecs, and this to work your quads. And as you said right at the start, Pilates and a lot of other training modalities are teaching people that actually the body is one big unit and it's much, you need to take a much more holistic approach. Not that there's anything wrong with doing bicep curls, for example, but just doing bicep curls is a problem. And you, if you want the body to move efficiently and safely as it's supposed to, then you need to train it to do that. And whether that's through strength training or Pilates or yoga or a combination of the three and of other things, it doesn't really matter. The key is that you're teaching it to move as one unit and not just isolating all these different parts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just want to, you know, you were talking, I'm sorry, Luke, you were talking about a, a hypermobility and, and just being in kind of um, in a yoga, like in a, in a yoga class. I just wanted to share something that um, the, the, the reason that I got into Pilates was I, um, went to a class and had a teacher um help me with uh, my shoulder joint and basically pushed my shoulder joint so so far back that I had something pop and I, I know and at that point I'm like do you know I I don't do think I can kind of move I can't think I can move my shoulder uh, <laughs> um,
2: did you get the range of motion I but did you get the range of motion
1: oh yeah totally
2: yeah. oh so she was buzzing
1: and this is a thing I think quite often it's, it's, it's about um, make making shapes in, yeah. instead of understanding how how to get that, you know what you know what the what the the journey kind of is and everyone is so wanting to get to the end point instead of exploring and feeling and understanding um, yeah what what it is that you're supposed to kind of be doing with you know those particular things so for some people it's um, about getting a faster time running you know Uh, for some people it's about just being able to reach up to the top cupboard to be able to grab a jar you know that's you know that's what they're after you know for other people it's being able to um, play with their grandchildren and get down, you know down and back up off the floor you know i see a lot of older people who you know, are struggling with their back or their knee and I'm like, what's going on? They're like, oh, I've you know, got a new grandchild. And you're like, okay, there, <laughs> that's what's going on. They're now using their body differently than they were kind of, you know, six months ago. And because of that, they then have to kind of, you know, our focus in training goes somewhere, somewhere slightly different.
0: Yeah, I think um, often there are adaptations that the body makes to, to whatever stresses it's being put on or being put under which people will look at and say that's a problem so i think a really common one is runners tend to have quite tight hamstrings and people will say well your hamstrings are tight you need to stretch them you need to lengthen them loosen them up but if you're running the reason you've got tight hamstrings is because that's where the power is coming from they need to tighten up for you to get that spring off the floor so it's not a case of let's loosen up the hamstrings so that you can get rid of the back pain you may be having having as a result is where is the the other weak link in the chain that needs strengthening or it could be stretching whatever it is to take that pain away because the the tight hamstrings are that there's a purpose for that there's a reason for it and and like you say with the um grandchildren, well, the knees, the backs are hurting because they're spending a lot more time bending down, picking up a grandchild or crawling on the floor, playing with a grandchild. And it's understanding that adaptations that the body's making aren't necessarily a problem themselves.
2: Yeah. And as we know, sometimes when things are tight, it's not an indication that we need to be stretched. They often need to be strengthened. If they're they're tightening up, it's usually a sign that they are a little bit weak and they're, they're, they're overworking. That's yeah. the approach I take anyway.
1: Um, so for you, because for um, I you know I do work with a lot of people who are, who are hypermobile and I find that they don't have, it's almost like, is it the Golgi reflex? It's, it's, yeah. It doesn't seem to work as well for hypermobile people. They're not getting that feedback. So, and also with that, I tend to find that they want to stretch a lot. Because they're trying to find some sensation, some kind of feeling. Whereas I feel people who are a little tighter, they get that feedback kind of straight away and they feel it. So, yeah. They're a lot
2: more receptive to it, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So sometimes what the body is asking for and what people are telling you what it is, quite often isn't necessarily what they need either. Yeah you know i mean you guys must have the same things that um you know there are particular exercises my clients love doing so on pilates we have the reformer so you get to, to lay down and you put your legs in kind of your feet in straps and you can kind of stretch the whole of your back line feels lovely and you know that's what people want to do they're like oh can we do feet in straps It's kind of like a joke in the Pilates community (laughs) that that's the exercise people want to do because it gives them so much feedback and they can kind of really feel it. But is that the exercise they necessarily need to do? No, they need to learn how to keep their pelvis stable and maybe mobilize the fevers without kind of letting the pelvis kind of tilt and look back. But yeah, that's always fun. Uh, Give people some of what they want and actually a lot of what they really need.
2: Yeah, so my equivalent is um, I work with a a semi-professional football team probably for the past four and a bit years. And there's three or four players that they'll always come in, whatever the issue is, quite often it's lower back or or upper back. And the first question they ask is, oh, can you click my back? (laughs) And they won't be happy unless I click their back. So what I soon realised was I'll do everything that we need to do first, let them be quite miserable because we're not doing what they actually want focus on what they need or about strengthening whatever and then just as they leave do you want me to clear your back yeah yeah would you so just t- tiny little adjustment the lightest of pressure and it would, it would go like bubble wrap but I'd make sure that I'd focus on what they needed first just to sort of satisfy what they want and need at the same time
1: yeah because that's that's it isn't it it's just like if you just do what they need and the person leaves and they they feel like they haven't got what they they wanted you know that right. has a, on kind of the training session that you have with them as well quite often a lot of it is the you know the psychology kind of behind um what what we do because it isn't just about movement it's about all of the other things that, that make up a person we're not just dealing with a body that's not attached to emotions or you know feelings
0: yeah, I think a really, really common one for me is I'll have a runner or a cyclist come to me and say, I've, I've heard strength training is something I really need to do. It's going to make me better. at Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And they'll say, but, you know, I do lots of running or cycling, so I don't think I need to do anything with my legs, really. They're strong. I, I need to work on my my upper body. I want bigger shoulders and bigger arms and you say, well, okay, we can, we can give you bigger shoulders and bigger arms. It's not going to help you running. If you build muscle there, it's going to make you heavier. It's probably going to slow you down. Let's, let's just try some squats or some st- uh, deadlifts or something, and they won't be able to move for days because the strength that they've built from running from cycling is a very different type of strength, you, different muscle fibers, different movement patterns, different muscles to what they're using running or cycling and they're not strong in in the same way you you need to find the movements that are more specific to the task they're trying to to accomplish
2: and i'm sure you find poor gradual exposure is usually the way to combat that problem yeah yeah
0: i mean i say you go and give them a load of squats or deadlifts if you give anyone a load of squats or deadlifts in their first session then you're probably not going to see them again because they won't yeah. be able to move for the next week, and th- that puts them off of any kind of strength training for the rest of their life. So,
1: yeah, I think it's a real art form. I think for personal training, um, to to not do that because I've been to a number of personal trainers, and um, you know, and just not been able to sit down on the low, you yeah. know, which is something I need to be able to do without weeping. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that not over, you know. I don't know what's called is it called beasting is that right yeah yeah yeah. not doing that I don't really have that problem in Pilates because we tend to work with the uh, more this kind of slow twitch fibers the kind of the deeper stuff so normally my what I normally get is like I do not feel anything is this actually doing anything for me (laughs) I'm like yes (laughs) um I mean I can I can definitely beast somebody on different bits of equipment but I that's not what, what, I, what I do or want to do, same as you guys. But yeah, it, it's fascinating because people don't have very good connection to their bodies, maybe from pain, maybe from they're just somebody who's very heady. You know, their job is kind of sat down all day at a computer. So everything is kind of, fun. it's it's difficult. It's almost like, you know, there's a disconnect between the head and the brain and the body. And a lot of the time, I spend helping people to feel things. And one of the main ways I do that is um, is via breath. Like a lot, we do a lot of breath work to begin with. So there's like a famous Joe Pilates quote here. You have to in the breath to out the breath. It was German. That's what the is. Um, so even, you know, even doing kind of really small um, breathing exercises, getting people to breathe into, you know, the back of their body, for example. So we we have more lung tissue posteriorly than we do kind of at the front. So getting people to kind of, you know, think about sending their breath to the back of the body, you know, that's gonna move a little bit more of the, the, the rib cage, which attaches into kind of the mid spine. And um, we know that the mid spine tends to be the bit that doesn't move, it's the top and the bottom. So yeah getting people to do you know those those types of things
2: so with breathing emma am i right in saying there's four key types of breathing modalities tell me i'm asking you
1: (laughs) what do you mean breathing modalities
2: modalities so um this is is a kind of the reason why i was asking you his question (laughs) um
1: when i teach breathing, i um teach just kind of where we can send the breath as it were. I mean, you can't, you know, it does, it goes there anyway. It's just about where your kind of intention is. So I teach like a, a stern uh-huh. breath. You put, place your hand on your breastbone and kind of, if you've got the shoulder mobility kind of one just kind of behind you and notice that when we inhale, obviously there's expansion. And when we exhale, you know, the body kind of comes close together. So that's the lungs expanding and then the lungs kind of deflating as it were. And then I teach a, a lateral breath. So putting your hands kind of on your rib cage and, and teaching kind of movement there. And then posterior, basically on your back. So placing your hands on someone else's back and getting them to kind of breathe back there. I find um, when you're sat in the car and you're holding onto the steering wheel, you know, and we're sat in traffic quite a lot these days. Um, so more
2: more now.
1: yeah, um, if you kind of just push into the steering wheel very gently, breathe in and kind of see if you can feel kind of the, the, back of your body pressing into the chair that's helping you find kind of more of that posterior breath. And then I teach single lung breathing as well. So, cause we have our phrenic nerve, which splits into two, which innerves the, the diet, you know, the diaphragm and the lungs, you can actually feel and send the breath and feel it go into one side more than the other. So our left lung is smaller than our right lung. So we've got two pleura with the left and then three with the right. Yeah, um, so you can kind of actually kind of see kind of like a, a difference. Um, and we use that kind of in, in side bending, you know, just to get people to think about breathing more into this side. Or if somebody collapses in their side bend, I'd get them to think about breathing more into the, kind of the collapsed side. So that's kind of how I use breath in Pilates is to either help um, hinder a movement or help it, or to help the movement. That's yeah, so helpful. are you
0: using breathing more as a tool to increase people's awareness of, of their body of the kind of proprioception that you were talking about earlier, as opposed to teaching them how to breathe?
1: Yeah, I'm teaching them how to breathe as an awareness tool. And then I'm also, cause in Pilates it is, we do use very kind of specific breathing patterns, you know, and I'm not saying that you should be breathing like this in everyday life, but when we're doing um, the work in the studio, yeah, we're using the breath to, to help with, um, for, for most people, really to kind of tone their, their trunk, basically, that's what people, I hate to use the word core, I'm, I'm like I've done really well. <laughs> um, yeah, so your, your deepest abdominal layer is your, your transverse abdominis. Yeah, so that's the one that's right, it always like next to kind of the organs, and then that's also a muscle of expiration, So when we exhale, the transverse is one of the muscles that helps to get the the breath out. So in Pilates, and I teach a very specific type of Pilates called Fletcher Pilates. um, And Ron Fletcher was very um, interested in how to kind of utilize and use the breath. So what he did was he kind of narrowed the aperture. So basically you narrow your, your mouth as you exhale. To make it more difficult for the air to get out, to then make it more challenging for the, for the transverse abdominus and kind of the trunk muscles. So when we're doing particular movements, we will use that breath pattern to get kind of more bang for your buck as it were.
2: That answers the question better because the reason I was asking that is within, particularly in running, a little bit in cycling, but quite often endurance sports in general, when people are first running, they, they breathe very much from sort of like the rib cage. It's very, very high up here. So is that what you would describe as sternal breathing?
1: Yeah, sternal. And that's, that's okay. really good at that breath. And instead of going, you know, and this is a little bit of the, you know, how we, how we talk to people and, and how we talk to ourselves, what our own internal dialogue is. It's like, it's not that that breath is wrong. It's not that that breath is bad. It's, it's just, quite limited though, isn't it? Yeah, It's just, you're, I always say, you're already good at that breath. So yeah. let's look at another one. So let's look at kind of more natural um, I actually find posterior breath, the back breath, is is the most transformative. I use it quite a lot when, I'm, when I do bits of running, when I do hill running, and I kind of think about sending the breath to the back of the body just to distract me from the horror of running up a hill. But yeah, if, if you end up with that kind of shorter breath, then we're just going to be using all the musculature kind of around the neck as well. And then people are like, oh, I get lots of neck pain. And you look at how they're breathing and you're like, yeah, I bet you do. Lots of it but drawing the breath like down, like you said, out to the side uh, and posteriorly, I find, you know, just gives people more options. It feels like it's more of a, like a 360 breath as opposed to, you know, just kind of up here.
2: Yeah, so a lot of, I think, is um, more and more commonly talked about and is described as almost like diaphragmatic breathing. Is this a different type of breathing?
1: Yeah, I think... Cause you I'm hoping to, I'm
2: asking the questions other people are.
1: Because yeah, um, you have to use your diaphragm to breathe anyway, don't you? It's just like, whether you want to yeah, or not.
2: So I think that people are almost describing it as sending it almost to below your ribcage. Uh,
1: yeah. Um,
2: yes. Again, I, if I'm wrong, say no,
1: it. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's quite interesting though, isn't it? Because you know, we get these terms that are banded about a lot in our industry, like core control, like core strength you know, people, when they come in to see me, they go, oh, I want a stronger core. And I'm like, what does that mean to you? You know, what is that? And quite often they'll be like, uh, I need stronger abs. And I'll be like, why? Um, and then they'll start to explain. And the same with like, I've heard like diaphragmatic breath a lot. And I'm like, well, what does that actually mean? What is it? What is it that you're trying to achieve, you know, with, by being able to diaphragmatically breathe because we all diaphragmatically breathe anyway. You know, we might not be kind of exploring the full potential of where we can kind of send the breath in the body. Yeah. And belly breathing is another one. You must've come across that one. People like, yeah. go, I need to, I need to belly breathe. The belly breath is diaphragmatic breath. So when, when we inhale, the lungs expand, they push the viscera kind of down and you know, the belly has to expand. I mean, you can kind of hold it. You can kind of stop that happening you know, I think that's used quite
2: a lot in yoga as
0: well. The kind of the the belly breathing. Yeah. I think my favorite of those kind of terms is um, inactive glutes. People talking about how their glutes don't work. (laughs) If your glutes don't work, then um, just take a couple of steps that way. And I'll tell you whether they work or not, because if your glutes don't work, you can't walk, you can't stand up. It's, you know, it's as simple as that. So it's, I hate it when people tell people their glutes don't work. Just tell them what the actual problem is because all that happens is I get someone coming to me saying, Oh, my glutes don't work. And I'm saying, well, what does that mean? Oh, well physio or whoever it is told me that my glutes don't work. (laughs) That really doesn't help me because your glutes do work. I can see they work. And now no one knows what the actual problem is apart from the person who's told you your glutes don't work.
1: And that just has has such a huge like effect on people when they get told things like that. You know, people come in quite often and they're like, you know, I've been told that, you know, I've got I've got no ab strength or you know, my pelvic floor is shot to pieces, that's normally it. And I'm like, well, you can go to the bathroom, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, and you can kind of, you know, let what needs to go out when it needs to go out and keep it in when it needs to come in, stay in. And they're like, yeah. And I said, Well, there you go, your pelvic floor's working. It's, you know, it's doing its job is that you might want to kind of tweak it. You might want to kind of perhaps strengthen aspects of it, but it's not shot to pieces. And I think like languaging around the, the kind of the healthcare industry can, you know, people don't really think about what they, they say to people and the effect that that can kind of have on them. So um, I always try to be really careful kind of with my languaging and absolutely would never say to somebody, yeah, your core's so weak, yeah. Um, or yeah you've got no glutes but you must see people's glutes not firing though I mean just from lack of um, hip extension when they're walking I mean I see that quite a lot
0: yeah you you see people you know you can do Luke knows far more about this than I do you can do basic tests and see people are perhaps more dominant with their with their hamstrings or their lower back than they should be their glutes perhaps aren't as strong as you might like them or the the firing pattern isn't optimal, but saying to someone, your glutes don't work or anything doesn't work, glutes, pelvic floor, core, like you say, is damaging and it it has a long-term impact on them because then they will go into whatever they go to do with this preconception that parts of them don't work and that that's going to be a limiting
2: factor for them. Yeah, complete lack of confidence because of that information. The only time I've had, well, suppose a few times, because I've worked with a couple of people who have unfortunately been paralysed, so when they say something doesn't work, we believe them. But I had somebody who had a shoulder injury two years ago, a football player. He's a defender, he's gone to defend the ball off his goal line, but he's landed on his shoulder and he got kicked in the face. A few days later he comes in, and um, he'd been to A and E. they assessed him for the main things, concussion and so on, but they they seemed to miss this massive bruise on the front of his head, and it turns out anyway, long story short, it turns out he'd actually torn a nerve in his shoulder, and he had to have nerve transplant surgery a year later. So again, we would be um, there's a few different pieces of equipment I use. So you can use electrostimulation to try and fire a particular nerve to see if you get movement. And we can also put um, technology on to see if there's a signal coming from the area. And he's the sort of person that I say, okay, maybe that doesn't work, but we're going to have to try and figure out another way of uh, getting different muscles to create that movement pattern. And by including him and involving him as much as I could, he took total ownership of it and did everything he could to try and create a movement. The only thing is he's got a slight like gap in his anterior deltoid. Mm -hmm. So he just uses other muscles to get his arm above his head. But um, luckily he's a very hardworking chap. So he's, um, he's willing to put anything that he could into it. But yeah, lazy glutes. um, I think all three of us will find this. It all depends on how you, how you assess them if you're putting them into full extension and then trying to get them to fire, some people are going to struggle because of limited hip hip flexion um, tightness. So if they can't put their leg into hip extension too much. But if you were to put their leg into their chest whilst they're laying on their back and getting to kick out, I'm sure 99% of people can push you away. Um, so Emma,
0: Pilates, it's the kind of stereotypes that go with it are uh, pilates is great for your core what would you say are the most the key the most common reasons people come to see you wanting to to start pilates
1: um my favorite one is um pilates is for pregnant people pregnant people pregnant women (laughs) Yeah, um, I get a couple of people um, who've come to me in Berkhamsted, who've worked with personal trainers, not you, Paul, who said, oh, my personal trainer says I should start doing Pilates now I'm pregnant. <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe you should have come to me before you got pregnant and not start a new movement modality whilst you're pregnant. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of, I get a lot of that. And I personally, I don't work with um, with pregnant women. I I don't mind doing postpartum, putting people back together. Um, so I think that's a, a common misconception that Pilates is is for pregnancy.
0: Is that generally because of pelvic floor?
1: I think yeah, pelvic floor, um, because it's seen as being kind of a a gentler kind of form of exercise as well. I think, and there's you know, I, I don't. My understanding is that I don't think people realise about the equipment that there's a whole kind of equipment kind of side, and I think it's just been marketed that way in this country. When I did my training, I did my training in California, um, in Santa Cruz, and over there um, at that time, you know, Pilates equipment and Pilates studios were you know were huge. There's lots and lots of them, and then when I came back to England, I was like, um, where are all the Pilates studios? There's, there's 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 none, and when I moved to Berkhamsted, we were the um, first Pilates equipment studio kind of up and running. Um, I think now there's like three, maybe maybe four, but yes, yeah, so I think there's yeah people don't understand about the the equipment side of it. So in this country, it's been very much about matte Pilates and something called pre-pilates. So all of those kind of little exercises, you know, knee lifts and kind of, you know, rotating the spine, all of that has been kind of lumped in with Pilates as well. And I'd say that those exercises, whilst good and, um, you know, worthy, isn't actually Pilates. Pilates really is, Matt Pilates is um, a series of exercises that go from one to the other. Yeah. And you just flow through those exercises. If we're going to get very specific, that is Matt Pilates. Everything else is things that people have added on. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sorry. Yeah. Core stuff. People always come in. I want to, I want to improve my core strength or I've got a bad back. I want to improve my core strength. That's pretty much kind of what I hear when people come come in. And i get a lot of people who are quite sporty who want to kind of improve overall kind of fitness as well and i also get a lot of um a lot of women who want to come in but don't want to perspire so i think that's another misconception that you can do pilates and, um, and not sweat yeah. which i guess you can do but just not in my classes
0: <laughs> so you mentioned earlier on oh you know i don't these people but i could these people and i think one thing pilates isn't associated with really which is unusual for any kind of movement fitness modality is weight loss people just when they talk about weight loss they don't really talk about pilates much now you mentioned right at the start that you've done some nutrition qualifications as well now Mm -hmm. is that kind of for Reaching out into more of the weight loss, fat loss market, or is that just for more of a holistic health?
1: Yeah, I would say that I don't, I don't go into kind of weight loss because it's um, I'm not trained in it, and I'm kind of very clear on what my I say my box is, what I'm capable of doing, and what I'm not capable of doing, and I refer out. lot so I have a a, you know like you guys do as well like a a group of people that I've worked with that I trust that I know so I have you know an amazing osteopath and you know personal trainers and you know a a hypnotherapist who I work with um some manual therapists um so yeah I refer out a lot and I I, yeah I wouldn't go down that route of um of weight loss Paul. I would um I would send them out to you (laughs) or you know, someone else who did that. I, I do. I just tend to get asked a lot by my clients. That's all. It's almost like because I teach Pilates, people automatically think I'm an expert now in manual therapy and, um, you know, nutrition. And, you know, and I was just getting asked so many times by so many clients. I just thought, why don't I just do it so that actually I can give an, in, an informed answer instead of just my opinion? And then if they were you know, really interested in, in pursuing it further, I have a friend who's a nutritionist and I would probably send them in that direction. So, yeah, for me, it's just about not wanting to give out incorrect information, but actually just being able to kind of answer, you know, to go. no
0: answer that isn't that's not really my scope of practice so I can't answer your question I
1: can't answer it but you know but I've done a nutrition diploma and you know this is what I learned and from you know so I'm answering your question but if you want more than just an answer then please go and speak to this person or this person yeah I think it's very important to keep in your box I mean the Pilates industry is not as regulated as kind of as you as you guys I belong to an American association it used to be called the, the PMA Pilates Method Alliance and now it's the national certification for teachers, I think now, and it's a voluntary exam that you can do to just kind of taste test your, you know, your, the basic level of Pilates and it includes things like, you know, ethics, um, you know, health and safety, blah, 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 but it isn't compulsory in this country. Or, or anywhere, so you can get teachers who have just done weekend courses in Pilates, you know, and just kind of set themselves up, get some insurance, and kind of off they go. Yeah. Which kind of gets me. Well, and I know that it used to be like that in the personal training oh, industry. Is. Really? Yeah. I don't think it was. A bad. I thought you were much more regulated.
0: No, no. Oh, um, there are certainly in group exercise, you can literally go and do a a one day course and then go and teach that if you want to go and work in a gym you'll normally have to show you're a member of reps or Simspur. Uh, yeah but away from that you don't need to I mean I mentioned I did a weekend course in Pilates and
1: yeah,
0: yeah two <laughs> or three years later a Pilates instructor didn't turn up for a class in the gym I was working in and they said oh you've done Pilates haven't you can you cover this class and I was like um well I haven't ever taught a class and I literally did a weekend and haven't looked at it since Um, but ended up covering the class and basically just did some stretching and some planks because I didn't have a clue what I was doing Um, yeah
1: you know which which isn't
0: Pilates no no no. it it wasn't Pilates at all it was just kind of some stretching and some planks
2: it's like being in front of house at a michelin star restaurant and the chef goes ill and because you study food tech at school they <laughs> yeah. get you in the kitchen.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean a lot of um, exercises I find, you know, because I, I, do, I do go to a lot of Pilates classes just to see what's out there and see what people are teaching and kind of the level of teaching. And yeah, there's a lot of planks in Pilates <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's none in the original repertoire at all. I mean, Joe did at the end of the, um, the class at the end of the mat class, um, is, 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 is push up, you know, and actually if you do a Pilates class, that is just the Pilates classes, the exercise, it's really challenging. Like you end up perspiring ferociously by the end of it. And if you look at the controlology book, the original, Book, with all of his exercises, you can see that that was done for a guy, you know, the types of um, things that he's doing in there and the areas that he's targeting, um, it very much looks like it's done for an ath- athletic kind of man. And then, as Joe worked with different people and he worked with dancers and he worked with um, you know people who were like injured, et etc, et etc, you can see how the dance um, element has kind of creeped into Pilates and has, has has changed it you know quite significantly not for the not, you know, not for the worst, but you know it is very different I think from what joe 's actual intention was and I think that it was very much for a guy's body. So it's quite interesting that Pilates is seen as like a, a woman's exercise regime. Because yeah, he was a boxer. He was, um, you know, a bodybuilder. You know, he loved all types of movement.
0: It's interesting you mentioned boxing because you may tell me I'm completely wrong here. But something I have heard about Pilates is that the Bo- uh, the breathing techniques are the same as boxing breathing techniques, are very similar to boxing breathing techniques, um, which, if he was a boxer, would make sense. And there was something launched a couple of years ago called Boxilates, I think it was. And it was a class that was like a combination of boxer size and Pilates together. And
2: uh... they sell that at Starbucks. <laughs>
0: I think I saw it being demoed at Leisure Industry Week at the NEC in Birmingham a few years ago and it was a strange kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, so first of all, no, as far as I'm aware and everything that I've read, there wasn't any correlation between boxing, breathing, boxing work and, um, and Joe. He very much was breathe in, breathe out. You know, in the air to out the air. The only one where there is a very, very specific breathing pattern from Joe is an exercise called the 100, which everyone hates. So you basically lay down on the floor, you lift your, your head, neck, and shoulders, you lift your feet off the floor a couple of inches, you reach your arms down by your side, and you start pumping vigorously kind of with your arms. And you're supposed to do five breaths in and five breaths out.
0: I think I've done that actually
1: yeah it's evil most people don't know how to take two breaths in two breaths out so it's quite a hideous exercise to give to somebody who has little breath awareness and probably not the um the strength to be able to kind of lift their their head and their feet off the ground and hold that position but um he did that one that was you know he, he was talked about kind of you know oxygenating the blood like first thing we do is we get down and we like wake everything up so we use this very strong kind of um, breathing technique but yeah as far as everything I've read that's pretty much the only breathing technique he kind of he used it was really um Ron Fletcher who um got very very specific with breathing patterns and he kind of studied you know quite intensely into kind of breath work and then he used that to yeah, to help with, with the movements and to kind of use the breath to, to kind of train the body in a different way.
0: Yeah. And actually, when you mentioned that, the the Fletcher breathing technique earlier, that is something that rung a bell because it's whether it's come from that or it's just different people coming up with very similar things, that style of breathing or similar styles of breathing of that are used in, in weightlifting, in powerlifting. For, oh, so, yeah. yeah yeah creating um intra-abdominal pressure and i think they actually use very similar in boxing as well this is very short powerful breaths through through a not a closed mouth but a a small um, air hole in your mouth again just because it's creating more pressure in the abdomen and abdomen even and then theoretically you can put more power into your punches because you've got a more solid yeah
1: I think at the end of the day, really there is only so many ways the human body can move. There is only so many ways that we can kind of breathe and everything that that we do is just an expression of somebody else's kind of idea of what worked for their body. So, you know, Joe played around with all these different movements and, you know, he kind of created this kind of routine you know, the same kind of with yoga, but when it comes down to it, especially in my work and especially with the equipment and the weights is that you have to find the right place for that person's body. You have to find the right weight for that person to be able to kind of execute that exercise. And, you know, I do like to use the breath, but if the breath is too confusing or it's hindering the movement, I just go, just breathe normally.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I see, Someone new. It's oh, when should I be breathing? It's just breathe, just yep. just make sure you're getting air in and then you're exhaling again. Once you you learn to move and to lift the weights properly, then we can start thinking about using your breath to to help you build strength and things, but, optimize things. Just get it yeah. in, get it out.
1: I mean, the thing because I do teacher training, so teaching people who want to become Pilates teachers, and I find quite often. There's so many, there's two different elements There's actually learning the technique and then having that in your body. And then where I see a lot of places not doing so well is actually teaching people how to teach, like, you know, how, how do I teach them? How do I get that information through to them? What's the, what's the technique that I use? You know, I generally teach, um, the, the movement first and then I'll teach the breath and then I'll start to clean things up you know, but if you try and put all of those three things together, people become overwhelmed and they kind of switch off, you know, what do you do when somebody walks into the studio and they're just in their head and then they're in their kind of sympathetic um, nervous system. They're just kind of like all over the place, you know, what do I have to do to get them into their parasympathetic nervous system so that they can start to take on this information that I'm giving them. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that those things are kind of taught very well or at all.
0: So kind of drawing on your counsellor experience, something that is a very big, I don't want to say buzzword because that's the wrong way of putting it, something that's very clear now and is talked about a lot, particularly at the moment, is the links between exercise and mental health or the positive relationship between exercise and mental health and i know it's something that a lot of people are interested in exploring further just tell us a little bit about about that about your kind of views your thoughts on that
1: so i am not an expert by any means um i have have a diploma in counseling i think that this is more um going into kind of the the psychology of of of, um yeah of, of movement and and mental health, um, which I know that there, there are people who definitely out there who, you know, who, who do this for a living. But my my experience is that, yes, <laughs> there's, there's definitely a link between the two. How can we kind of, se- you know, separate that? Our, our bodies are made for movement. And a lot of the time, because of our jobs and, you know, people are desk bound, um, they find that, you know, that they're not they're not moving their body so they're not getting you know um those happy hormones those endorphins from from being able to kind of you know, move their bodies one of the things that i studied when i was doing my counseling diploma was the effects of um exercising outdoors and in nature which i found you know really really fascinating so there's a lot of, um, you know, papers and experiments been done on just the effects of going out into nature and having, you know, a walk or kind of a light kind of jog. And just by looking at, you know, um, natural landscapes, it actually resets kind of your your brain, which is just fascinating to me. Um, It's also kind of used in prisons, so whether we're working um, with, um, men, you know, specifically who had um, anger issues, um, they would put them into a room and project um, images of nature kind of around the room as a way to um, yeah, to reset the brain and to you know to, to calm them down. In cities, in, Cor- in I think it's Korea, they were looking at exploring <clears throat> having boxes outside the windows where they would kind of grow plants. So that when people were in the office and they could look out and they could kind of see the green, it was having this, this same kind of effect on, on, on the brain. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so one of the projects I did with our class um, was uh, we got lots of like cutouts of um, pictures that we liked and um, stuck them on kind of cardboard and apparently even just kind of having that next to your desk and kind of looking at that picture is enough to kind of to to reset your brain and to kind of give you that kind of soothing kind of effect so that's gone a little bit off it's more kind of like nature and what you're looking at but yes exercise equally has as the same effect a more potent combination is exercising kind of out in nature
0: which I think a lot of people found during lockdown when everyone yeah. was taking up running and walking and cycling, uh, and now that lockdown's over, uh, it seems a good time to remind everyone that most of what the most of the exercise I do is outside. So I was just about to say and, that? Uh, yeah. Come and do that's some like, fitness sessions.
1: That's why I that's why I chose you when um, we first because you were doing it outdoors and oh, yeah. I was, yeah aware of the yeah of the 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 combination
0: of the two. I don't
1: like gyms. Just generally. A lot of
0: people don't. And, you know, a lot of what I do, well, actually, as I've got more and more equipment at home, I do more and more stuff at home now, um, or just in the garden, or just in between sessions at work. I'll go to classes in gyms, that's for more of a social thing. And sometimes if I, I want to do something where I need really heavy weights that I don't have at home, then I'll go to a gym. What I, I do not understand is people going to the gym to walk on a treadmill. I can kind of understand it in the middle of winter. If maybe you're a a woman who lives alone and you're a bit worried about being outside in the dark on your own from a kind of safety aspect, I can get that. But generally, I think if you want to go for a walk, don't go to the gym and do it on a treadmill, go out and do it in nature.
1: I have, um, I've got a question actually for Luke. Um, so I have um, a client, and it, it kind of ties into what you're saying, Paul, who is just interested in going to the gym, getting on the treadmill, watching a movie as they, as they do their, their exercise. And I'm like saying, yeah, I don't think that's so great for you <laughs> from like, you know, a, a mental perspective. And they're like, well, well why not? If I, I'm, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. You know, what's the difference with me being distracted by a movie and moving versus being engaged in the movement as I'm doing it? The effects are still the same, right? And I was like, hmm.
0: <laughs> I would tell them to go and listen to our Run the World Run the Wild podcast where we talk okay.
2: about stuff.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: In terms of joint position, you can put the TV wherever you want. Um, I know a lot of people who'll do cycling sessions watching stuff, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Is it, is it just
1: movement snobbery? Am I just being a movement snob? Perhaps, and
2: going- but perhaps, perhaps there is um, a percentage of movement snobbery going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, at the end of the day, if they're getting it done and that's the only way they're going to get it done, fair play. If, there is, if there's multiple ways of achieving the same outcome, which is, let's say, an hour and a half of running, if there's alternatives and we would probably be biased to say, go outside because that's what we will be talking about. And that's what we agree with. But person might hate nature. (laughs) They might have a really dis, you know, the only way they can run perhaps is by being distracted as opposed to it being engaged. And I think when you're with nature, you're more engaged, but if you're running and watching a film, you're probably trying to use it as a distraction technique to achieve the session. Maybe a different way of looking at it, I don't know.
0: uh, A really good book called Mindful Running, where they talk about using, um, basically using running as a meditation technique. And that's all about being mindful while you're running or walking. And a lot of that is stuff Luke and I've touched on before about not having music when you run, um, not having a watch when you run and just making yourself more in the moment. So I think there's, Definitely that side to it. But the other thing I would say is if you're outside, particularly if you um, take yourself off of the roads and come out into the woods or mountains, wherever it is you are, then you've got other physical variables, your ankles are going to be moving differently, which in turn means your hips, your knees, your back your shoulders, everything else is going to be moving differently as well. So you're just building the the strength in a slightly different way. The movement's going to be a bit different. Um, That would be my kind of, this is why outdoors is better. But as Luke said, if it's a choice of do do it on a treadmill watching a film or don't do it, then do it on a treadmill watching a film.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, there's definitely... No, now it's come out of my mouth to other people. <laughs> There's definitely an aspect of movement snobbery. I'm like, no, you should be doing it here because it's better for you outside <laughs> or you should be engaged because in Pilates, you you don't get really that option because you're on equipment and because you're moving in a very specific way. You have to be very aware and very mindful of of, of, of what's going on around you. You don't, you know, if you switch off, you, you know, you miss... The next kind of um, instruction, um, and then if you start to add the breath in with Pilates, I find it to be very meditative, meditative, as well. So I can completely switch off that monkey chatter, that kind of you know my brain wants to do, if I'm focusing on moving and breathing um, a very specific way. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I myself don't like meditation, just kind of just sat there. I like what you said, Paul, about, you know, mindful walking or mindful running. I find that, mm, yeah, for, for me, uh, um, I like it. And I, I like being able to move and breathe and really not kind of have my brain invaded by, what am I cooking for dinner tonight? Or, oh, I forgot to pay such and such bill. Um,
0: yeah. And actually something they do talk quite a lot about in the, the book I just mentioned, Mindful Running, is the breathing aspect of it. And it was things like focusing on your breathing, counting your breaths and you use that to just get into the running as opposed to being in your, your thoughts. And like you say, thinking about what you're having for dinner and what bills you haven't paid and all the kinds of things that you just don't want to be thinking about 24 seven.
1: Yeah. I mean, breathing's the first thing I teach in class, which is, you know, when people come for a one-to-one, that's, that's the first thing I focus on because, it's it's in everything you know and if i say you know if if the only thing that you take away from this is that you've learned how to kind of breathe a little bit kind of more efficiently or you understand how to breathe i said like i'm happy with that job done okay and really
2: just a very very quick tangent um as we're talking about mindfulness i don't know if this works for you guys or perhaps people who are listening to this at my work then but those of you who are involved in high-speed sports, so for me it's motorsports or water sports or anything like that. For me, that's the best form of like, just almost to evaporating everything from your mind other than I have to survive. And that's a really good way of me not thinking at all, just doing something high-speed, whether that's being on a bike, um, go-karting, obviously not speeding in the car. <laughs> um, skiing anything like that I think when you're on the limit of how fast you're going all your attention is just purely on basic survival in- instincts and that's a really good way of um as I said it was a tangent but it's a really yeah. good way of taking your mind off of everything
1: I I I, I think the same when I'm doing you know uh, a handstand on a wonder chair you know the only focus in my mind is, is staying in that position and, and not falling off, you know, it, it sharpens the mind incredibly, yeah. yeah. That's,
2: a, that's a very much, that's a far better way of saying it, sharpening the mind and we've heard that a few times as well through, throughout these podcast. sharpening the yeah. mind.
1: Yeah, it, yeah it, it is and the, there is nothing, it's almost like when you're a kid, and, you know, you just become so absorbed in, you know, in something. It doesn't matter, you know, what it was, you know, playing with just something in front of you or, you know, testing the limits of how much you can spin until you can't stand up <laughs> anymore. Or, you know, I think that is, as, a, as a kid, that's kind of what we used to, to do, um, testing kind of our limits and then as an adult, we, we tend to kind of move away from that. And I think that for a lot of people, that sharpening of the mind in, in kind of sport or something, I feel like that's kind of the equivalent of what we used to do when we were children. That kind of makes sense that we still have that desire to want to kind of push ourselves and test ourselves, but we find different ways of, um, of doing it.
0: Yeah. So just to bring things to a close then, if there is anyone listening who's... of been thinking about taking up Pilates, maybe they're on the fence about it. What would you say to them to what to either get them to give it a go or to get them not to?
1: (laughs) That's a difficult question, Paul. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean I I just don't like genuinely it's about it's about movement. And it's just finding the thing that you enjoy, that you look forward to. So, you know, when people come to me and I normally do like a, an initial consultation and the initial consultation is to see if, if the, what I do um, can elicit joy in that person yeah that you know if they're coming for something that's painful, then you know that's completely you know different. We're looking to get out of pain. but for somebody who's like sporty or somebody who just wants to kind of you know start to move their body, can they find some joy? can they find some playfulness? In, um, in Pilates and I think yes is the answer you know there's so many different bits of equipment there's so many different ways to kind of um, experiment and play and you know find your body's limits and do things that you didn't even think that you were capable of in I would say kind of a, a safe environment and then once you've kind of played around with stuff in a Pilates um, studio I feel like it gives you confidence to maybe go and try something that you might not have done before. Maybe that's um, tobogganing or, you know, maybe <laughs> skiing or, you know, some other kind of sport. But yeah, I think it, it gives you, it gives you body confidence. Yeah. And there's a really nice quote from Joe Pilates and it's something like this. It's in Contrology. It's about Pilates should basically help you to execute you know your activities every day with spontaneity and zest. I was like, yeah, I like that. That's what that's what it should do for you.
0: It's discovering the joy of movement.
1: Yes. Which there we go. I feel
0: like I've stolen from an advert for something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You'll be getting a, a sternly worded letter from somebody.
0: <laughs> cool, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on today with us. Where can people go to find out more about you, more about what you do?
1: So I'm on Insta, which is Emma underscore Bray underscore Pilates, or I'm at themovementstudios.co.uk. So I'm based in Berkhamstead. Um, I do things on Zoom. So you can can come and play with me wherever you are in the country. Or the world. (laughs) Or the world, yes. It's like it's
0: not three in the morning luke same question
2: Zen underscore anatomy my website is zenanatomy.co.uk and i'm based in gerald's cross and hounslow
0: and i am at poros pt across most socials and porospt.com thanks very much for joining us today and we will speak to you very soon goodbye